Well, good morning. Hey, come on, I'll just make sure you're awake. Good morning. Hey, that's good. Okay, if you'd like to look up Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, that's where I'm going to be speaking from. And I'll try not to stray too far from that this morning. Uh, I'm really comfortable with this because having church planted uh, since 1980, uh, I, I love meeting in a home. As a matter of fact, the first church plant we ever planted out, we only had about nine people. Uh, and one of those people, when I counted them, was a dog. All right. <laughs> we, we counted anything. You know? <laughs> we, we were counting. How many people we got this morning? Oh, we got nine. Actually, that includes the dog. Uh, and, and, and the elderly lady was there as well, and she was completely deaf, but that didn't matter to me. It was nine people. So let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray this morning that you would encourage us with your word. Lord, we don't want to now do a sermon. We want to enjoy the word of God. We want it to do us good. We want it to lift up our heads to see how much you love us and to see how much you've done for us. And I pray what we learned this morning would cause us to live differently. Not slavishly, but living in the light of your amazing love. So God, we pray, would you do something, uh, make history in our hearts this morning as we open your word. Make us strong, Lord, equip us and cause us to love you more because of what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. During the pandemic uh, and since then, I've been speaking on positional truth. In other words, I believe that Christians need to know who they are so they can rejoice in that. And then it says about out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So therefore, we're not going to tell other people what a great thing our Christian life is if we're not rejoicing in it ourselves. So I'm focusing in on that. And during the pandemic, I spoke. I think I was online, though. I don't think I was actually here. And I spoke on how we ought to live. And I took it from Colossians uh, 3 at the time. And it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. And what I was speaking about was, it starts off with, as God's chosen people, you already are that, then live like this. And that, that part of knowing who we are, we're God's chosen people, causes us to act in the right way. It's not we're trying to do something to please God. It's actually, God has already done everything for us in Christ. Now we live in a new way. And I'm a bit obsessed with that. All right, That'd be, That's my wife's expression for me. Uh, on it. But we, this morning, I want to look at Romans, and uh, I want to look at Romans chapter 5 particularly, and uh, let me find it. the letter to the Romans, first of all, is about what God has done for sinners through Jesus, all right? Paul wrote Romans, which is all the gospel is in, in, in sort of encapsulated in Romans, he wrote it to Christians. You think, why did God, why did, you know, God allow the, Paul to send a letter to the Christians about the gospel? Haven't they already received the gospel? Well, Paul wanted them not just to know it, but he wanted them to be established in the gospel. He wanted them to be strong in the gospel, to know what they believed. And so, you know, the Romans hinges on this whole thing that there's a righteousness from God. It's not what we have done. But there is, in Romans 3, it says, but now there's a righteousness that comes from God that's been given to us in Jesus as we trust in him. And so Paul in Romans spells out our need for justification, our need for being right with God, because we were so far off. God's provision for our justification, the benefits of justification, what we receive, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And having been justified, how should we live? Well, Romans 5, where we're opening up here is where Paul is beginning to open up the benefits of being a Christian. And so we're going to look at it from verse 1, and I'm going to pull some points out of here this morning that, for me, I found just encouraging preparing it. But I, I pray that this will really encourage your hearts as well when you realise quite how much God loves you. So verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we've been reconciled, shall we be saved from his life. And in verse 11, more than that, more even than that, we also rejoice in God for our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, there's a lot in that, but that verse says the word more so many times in it, we're going to really focus in on that word this morning, more, more. One of my favourite films is a musical, okay, called Oliver Twist. Has anybody ever heard of that? It's a Dickensian, the story Oliver Twist was written in 1837, I think, and uh, it's a story of a young boy who, through tragedy happening in his life, ends up in an orphanage, and then he's separated from that into the workhouse where he'd go up chimneys and do all sorts of things like that in the Dickensian days. And it's the story of his life. And after young Oliver has been moved out of the boarding house as a very small child where he spent his early years, he's moved into the workhouse with a hundred or so other boys. And they are doing their labour day after day after day and they're subsisting on a, a bowl of gruel which was a, a soupy looking, mud looking, sort of cheap meal. That's what it was. And maybe a bun or an onion at the weekend. And one day after finishing his bowl of gruel, Oliver is motivated partly by the boys around him, but also because of his own hunger to take his bowl and go up to the master and hold up his bowl in front of him and say to Mr. Bumble, who was like the chief in charge, a big sort of burly man, the famous words, and this is a very famous scene, he holds up his bowl and he says, please sir, can I have some more? And Mr. Bumble and his psychic, uh, Mrs. Man, are utterly aghast. They are just like, what? It was such a shocking thing. They're completely caught off guard that someone should even imagine getting more. And after Mr. Bumble uh, regains his sort of composure, after all the shock of a boy asking him for more than he actually had, he, um, he grabs him and he takes him over to the parish board where there's a great lot of people sitting around and he tells them, this boy asked for more. And they are completely shocked. And this was a great turning around in his life because actually he was taken from there by Mr. Bumble around the streets where he would shout out, boy for sale. That's how terrible it was that he would ask for more soup than he got. These were sort of Dickensian days. And so I want to catch out of that and that the request that he caused caused for great distress and punishment to him. And in that system marked out by real begrudging stinginess is what it was in those days. He is told there is no more for you. Well, I, the reason I tell you that story is because I want to say how different it is in Christ for us. And, the, and I think the New Testament loves to speak about how different it is to that in the kingdom of God. Because with God, it's lavish grace. It's abundant grace. It's more. It's, it's more and more and far above what we could ask or imagine. That's what is promised by God for us. With Christ, it's grace upon grace. And I think we can see that really clearly communicated in this passage by the word more. In verse 1, we have a statement. And in verse 2, we have something more. And in verse 3, more than that. And throughout the whole passage, verse 9, much more. Verse 10, much more. Verse 11, much more than that. And Paul is trying to communicate to people that our God is a lavish God. 
that our God is full of goodness. And in the, the, the word that encapsulates it, not just more here, it says that God is a God who pours out. It says in this passage, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. Our God is a lavish God. He is not Mr. Bumble, okay? He is not stingy. He is not begrudging. It's not as if we come with our bowl this morning in our, after our worship time and we say, oh God, you know, please could you give us some more? Only for God to say, what? What are you talking about? I've already given Jesus. What more would you want? Which is a good point, I think. Because Jesus is really all we need. But actually, God's more than God gives us access to him in prayer. God gives us joy in our salvation. God gives us the family of the church to belong to. God gives us gifts so we can be involved in his purposes. God gives us reconciliation to him. God takes away our sin and replaces it with this new life that is given to us that we were singing about this morning. Listen. You know, I don't think the passage we're going to look at is exhaustive because we could think of adoption, reconciliation. We could think of being part of God's people, empowered by the spirit. We could think about uh, we've been given gifts. Listen, our God gives one blessing after another. It's not like we become Christians and it's fire insurance. We're not going to hell and that's the end of it. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is to be lived in joy in relationship with God. Was it the Westminster Catechism says, was it man's chief aim is to, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? That's where I believe this passage is going to take us this morning. Are we enjoying God? Are we living in his presence day after day? And it's that word more that shows us God's goodness and that our God is lavish in his grace towards us. And my desire this morning is to prove that from scripture, from Romans 5. So that we don't go away thinking, you know, well, well, God just loved me in Jesus and that's it. No, no, no. It's one blessing after another. And we have so much because of what Christ has done for us. Okay, he has done for us what we could not have done for ourselves. We've been justified as we were singing in the last song. We've been made right with God and it's only through Jesus, which is why we continually continue to worship Jesus. Because there's nothing that would have made us right with God apart from him and his work for us. Being in Christ is not like we have to come to God and hold up our bowl. God, is there any chance you could give him some more? Listen, he wants us to be a people walking in his lavish love day after day. He pours it out freely. Even our justification itself has been given to us. It's a gift being completely made right with God. And Paul's already explained this through Romans before he comes to Romans 5. And I want, I want to sort of say this this morning, that um, if we don't get the foundation right, that we don't live our lives in the joy of, of, of Christ. You see, the first thing is we've got to know that in our lives. We are right with God through Jesus Christ. We've got to know that and enjoy it and be aware of it. And then God will add one blessing after another. You know, when I read this, I was reminded of the, the guys who buried their talents in the ground. You know that story? And they buried their talents in the ground. And one of the guys, uh, he buried his, the rest of them put them to work with the bank, but he buried his. And when the master came back, it says, he who received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And then because of that, you know, the master is just angry with him. He's, you know, he's cast out into punishment because of it. And when I was reading this story, you know, I, when I read the whole of the parable, what we've got is this master entrusting his servants with money, rewarding them when he comes back, asking them, come on, come and be part of my business. And he's saying to them, he's saying, enter into my joy. And the, and the guy says, oh, I knew you were a hard man. This man didn't know what God was like, so he wasted his life. And I think if we don't know how much God has done for us in Christ, and we don't know all the benefits that God has poured out into our lives, we can, like this guy, waste our lives. Not knowing or enjoying or appreciating what Christ has done for us. The greatest problem with the servant 
is he had the wrong view of the master. And I want to encourage you, don't have a wrong view of God. Our God is a lavish God. He pours out into our lives day after day. You know, think about how he treated the others. It's his master, you delivered me five talents here, I've made five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I've set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Does that sound like a hard man? That doesn't sound like a hard man to me. That sounds like a guy who's a good, good boss to work for. He treats his staff well. And my fear for us as we live out our Christian lives, if we have the wrong view of the master, we're not going to be living in the joy of the Lord. Now, if you think I'm talking about money, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, but I'm reminding you we're so rich in Jesus. What does it say to us? In 2 Corinthians 8, it says, though he was rich, Jesus, he became poor. Why? So that through his poverty, we might become rich. So what are our riches? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Paul is going to show at the riches of our relationship with God. So let me just underline that foundation first of all. Okay, In every chapter that we read around this part, we, we make, he makes very clear to us. You know, we've been, it says we've been justified through Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us about. We've been justified through Christ Jesus. Chapter 5, the last verse says this. So that as sin reigned in, in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, the last verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7, the last verse, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 8, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's almost like Paul's trying to get something across to us. Every single chapter ends with that phrase. So that's our foundation. That through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are completely secure in God. We are completely right with God. But it's not just that. It's that God adds to it. Let's just move on. I'll make sure I get it all in there. Okay. For us, the good news of the gospel is not about us. It's God's sending Jesus to justify us. It's God sending. It's God coming. It's God rescuing. It's God justifying the wicked. It's God cleansing us. It's God restoring us. It's all at God's initiative. That's how much God loves us. And that's the foundation of our faith. It's not to do with our good behavior. Our good behavior, if we think that makes us right, takes away from the cross. Whereas our sin, when we come, when we come to the cross, it's, it's Christ's work on the cross that makes us right with God forever. Hallelujah. I'll stop there for an hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, I got one. There you go. I hear people say to me, you know, I'm good with God, thanks. I do a lot of evangelism with churches and people come up to me, you know, I'm good with God, thanks. Listen, don't let anybody ever say that to you if Jesus is not part of their testimony. Let me say, if it's not through Jesus Christ our Lord, it's not salvation. Oh, I'm good with God, thanks. I don't, you know, I don't need to chat with you. No, listen, buddy. You're not good with God if Jesus is not in the picture. Because Jesus is the only way. So what are the benefits? Okay, we realised our foundation is we've been justified through Jesus. Paul's made that so evidently clear in every chapter that we read there. But... What does it say? Okay, let's look at it from verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear here. He's not talking about peace. Oh, have some peace. Now, God does give that. It's not like a feeling of peace. It's not like, oh, I feel really peaceful today. I mean, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. He does give that. He does give us a feeling of peace. Sometimes we haven't got it, but we're still having peace with God through Jesus Christ. He's talking about the peace to our very status before God, our very relationship with God. It, it doesn't matter, to be honest with you, whether you feel that peace or not. If you've trusted in Christ, that peace is true for you. 
In other words, he's speaking about, you know, the estrangement from God, the distance from God, the, the separation is gone, the hostility between you and God is gone. And reconciliation is now complete. And there's harmony in our relationship with God. That's why I don't like to use the phrase, I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. That's my status before God today. I'm, and people say, oh, you know, you're not a sinner. You know, oh, how about saying I once was a sinner? No, well, I was once a sinner, but now I'm a saint. I'm a saint who sometimes sins. Anybody else in that category? I'm a saint who sometimes sins. And if we sin, what does it tell us? We come back to Jesus and he will cleanse us from that sin. But our status is this today. Because of this, it says since we've been justified, made right by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies with God. We were enemies. We were against God. I didn't. I hated Christians before I was a Christian. I used to think, I used to hate unfashionable, sandal-wearing, blancmange, handshaky weirdos. And then I went to a concert one night to see a band, and the person who took me there took me to a Christian meeting, and I heard the gospel and went forward. Okay? And I was thinking, this wasn't what I signed up to come to tonight. I thought it was going to be a band on. And it was an opera singer and a guy preaching the gospel. And I got <laughs> saved. Verse 10 makes it clear. If we were, it says, if while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God, now how much more now are we friends of God? Listen, we are friends of God this morning. That is our status. Tomorrow morning, you get out of bed. It's Monday morning. You've got to go to work. You don't feel too great about it. <sighs> Weekend's gone. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you've trusted in Christ, you have good standing with God. You are right with God through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. The feelings are not that important. We've, you know, you're probably going to need a couple of coffees to get you off the way. All right, that's what I generally need. Um, but, but actually, it's, we've been justified. So, so why do we rejoice? We rejoice because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says that we've obtained access to grace. Verse 2, through him, it says this, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand. Paul here is talking about being brought into a new place of freedom and grace. Later on in the film of Oliver Twist, Oliver gets adopted back into a family. And he, he suddenly has a very different status. He's no longer an orphan. He's an heir. He goes into this very uh, wealthy family and he's, and he's brought back in again. That is us. We, we've gone from orphans to heirs. Our status has been completely changed. And not just that, it says we've been brought into a new place. The old place was law. The old place was doing the rules. The old place was we're never going to be good enough before God. That was the old place. That was Mr. Bumble. Right? And his gruel and his rules and the parish board. But that's not where we are now. Because of Christ, we've come into this grace. And it doesn't just say this grace, this grace in which we now stand. We have a new place to live in the grace of God every day. Freed from our sin and walking in the joy of what Christ has done. When I came to Canada 22 years ago, they were singing a song. It was on the TV all the time. A place to stand, a place to grow, Ontario. <laughs> I knew two things about that. All right, One is they were saying it was a good place to be. And two, the guy who wrote the song wasn't very good at writing. Because <laughs> if you have to write Ontario, you're not very good at songwriting. But it, what it was saying is Ontario is a good place to stand. It's a new place you've come to. It's a place to stand and grow. Listen, the grace of God and the love of God is ours in the grace of God that we live in every day. It's not like we, we tasted the grace of God by coming to Jesus and being forgiven. No, we live in the grace of God. We live in a new place, a place of freedom and joy and life. That's what I love about the Christian life. It's not like we all became Christians and then we all sat back and waited for heaven. No, every day we're living in the joy of, of what God is doing. 
I see it every day. In, I see it in my kids. I see it in my kids. My Maisie, she lives in England now. She's studying to be a speech pathologist. And Maisie rings me up, and I'm so glad God's at work. And she rings up with the most amazing stories of what's happening in her life. She, was, she wanted to find some work just to get a little bit. And somebody offered her one day's work. She went there. She did some work. She was working at a cafe. And a whole group of girls came in, in their 20s. And these girls all have Down syndrome. And there's, I think there's around, I don't know, I think there's around eight or nine of these girls who have Down syndrome. And uh, Maisie went straight up to them. It's like, what do you want? And chatted with them. And they started saying to the person who brought me, you know, you know, this is great. This is and the lady said, uh, would you like to come and help us sometime? Now, Maisie now runs that group. She, and she comes back with all these stories. She said, I go, we have a party together somewhere or other. We all get together. And she said, and, and Maisie just has this compassion for people. Everywhere she goes, there's a whole bunch of Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainians just arrived in Sevenoaks where she lives in her church. And so she said, I've decided I'm taking them shopping every Sunday after church. And so now she has all these Ukrainian ladies jumping in her car and going, and every week she's got some story. I'm watching her live in the grace of God and seeing God use her purposely and joyfully in every situation she's in. What a joy. Paul is talking to us here about being brought into a place of freedom. All right? We are no longer under law. We're living in the grace of God every day. And he doesn't just get, you know, God doesn't, doesn't just allow us in. It's a place to stand. In the grace that we stand now, it's a continuous and secure place. God loves to be gracious to his children. God loves to be gracious to his children. And we have, and we have access to this place of grace because we've been justified. Are you living in the grace of God? Let me ask that question before we move on. Are you living in the grace of God? Do you find yourself condemned on a regular basis? Or are you realizing, yeah, I fell down that day, but I look to Jesus and I get up and I can move on because Jesus has already paid for that sin. Are we making use of what God has done for us? Or are we living in condemnation? Doesn't the Bible say there's a little bit of condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? Does it say that in your Bible? Does it say there's just a smudge, there's just a smidge? of condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Have it says in your Bible? If it does, chuck it away, because that's not a proper Bible. What it, what it is, is this. There is, therefore, now, no. no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So should we be living in condemnation? No, we shouldn't, because we've been fully and completely forgiven in Christ. We've been justified. We've been made right. It's like going into the court and the judge looks down and he says, you're justified. You can go. But it's even better in the Christian life because the judge gets out of his seat. He pays the fine if there was a fine. And then he takes us home to be with him. That's our God. There's more in God. It's a relationship with him. In the past, we'd fallen short of the glory of God. But now we are living in grace and in the glory of God. Third. Third, the third and, all right? Let me just read it to you. It says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is another benefit. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are joyfully confident in our hope of the glory of God. Well, what is that? Paul is speaking about rejoicing in our hope of future glory. Okay, this is going to be a big one for you. In the past, we'd fallen short of the glory of God. Then we've been made right with God. And, and actually, Scripture, Paul teaches, you know, those he, he justifies, he also glorifies. You know, it's almost like a, it's a present, but it's a future. It's not like I've not been glorified yet. I just want to let you know that. This is not a glorified body, okay? If it is, I am very disappointed. <laughs> okay, because I had a tooth knocked out when I was sailing. All right. And I'm beginning to get a bit old and I can't run quite as much as I used to. I can't play football with the grandkids like I used to. This is not a glorified body. One day I will be an athlete in heaven. I just want you to know that. I see it in my future. 
but but you see scripture here is telling us you know like paul actually the apostle paul being a bit like me he said how i long to step into my spiritual body how i how i long you know that one day i'm gonna this is gonna be a glorified body and paul is saying we rejoice we we boast in a hope of the glory of god not just being restored to a position that we were uh, supposed to be in, which is true. We've been, we've been restored into a relationship with God that God ordained for us before creation. That's what, we, that's what Jesus has done. He has restored us into right relationship. The very relationship that we were called to be. It, we share in the glory of God. And the reason I, I mentioned the, the story of the talents, you know, we get to share in the master's glory. As Christians, we get to share in the master's glory. In Romans 8, Paul says um, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. And not only will it be revealed to us, but we'll also be drawn into that to be glorified and part of the glory of God, to share in God's glory. That is a benefit of the Christian life. This is not, you know, this is not like something to say, oh, that's the future. Actually, it's, it's good to rejoice in it now. It's good to be aware. Indeed, the final plan for God's creation is to make known his riches of his glory on his people, which he prepared forehand for glory. God is preparing you for glory. God is at work in our lives. We were made to rejoice and share in the glory of God. That's the Christian's destiny and also their position. It's, it's weird when you read the Bible and Paul says, those he justified, you know, he also glorified. You know, I how can I be glorified? It's not, it's not speaking about now. It's speaking about that God has, God has already prepared you for glory. The glory is underway. And one day we will be glorified. We will be we will be like God. We will, we will be the creation that he wanted us to have. How about this benefit number four? What was benefit number one? Anyone remember? Peace. Oh, I've got someone with a pen beside me. <laughs> what was the benefit number two? Access. Access, yeah. Access. Access. Isn't that great? Every day I have access to God by his grace in prayer. Which means even though three of my kids are in England, and sometimes I worry about them, I can have access to God and tell my father about that. I love that, because it makes me feel so secure. I can, I can entrust my kids to God. But I don't know what they're up to out there half the time, or where they're going. Benefit number four. Oh, what was number three? Sorry. Rejoicing. Rejoicing in, in the glory and the hope of the glory of God, that God... What he has begun in us, he's going to bring to completion. And that basically, in our Christian life, we're going from one degree of glory to another. God's at work in us, so he's going to make us like Jesus. Isn't that great? He's going to make us. God's got an intention to not just save us and leave us as we were, which was a bit of a mess. Well, it was for me anyway. You might be a bit more secure than I was. But I am thrilled that God is changing me and making me like Jesus. And he's changing me from one degree of glory into another until I am glorified in his presence. Love it. Benefit number four, joy in suffering. All right, this is a bit more of a tricky one. Joy in suffering. It says, again, it's one of those ones. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. How many people glory in their sufferings here? <laughs> You know, it's like that scripture that says, count it all joy when you go through various trials. I've got to be honest with you, I don't generally start there, if I'm honest with you. I don't generally say, I'm suffering. Count it all joy. It's normally what some really annoying Christian says to you when you're going through suffering. You go, oh man, it's just tough. Hey, count it all joy. I want to, I want to punch you on one. It says this, not only, but we, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Listen, the, the enemy, the devil, uses suffering to cause us to stumble. Would you agree with that? The enemy uses suffering to cause us to struggle. Would you agree with that? But God uses suffering to cause us to stand and give glory to him. I don't often write things like that, so I'm going to say it again. <laughs> the, enemy, the enemy uses suffering to cause us to stumble and fall. The enemy uses suffering to cause us to struggle. But God uses suffering to cause us to stand. He's doing something in us when we, when we suffer. Listen, nothing gets wasted in God's economy. Nothing gets wasted. Last year, for me, in all honesty, was a very tough year. I experienced some suffering. I went through a time where my family got hold of me. You could see I wasn't sleeping at night. I had some mental issues. I was struggling. I was depressed. And they said, we've got to get something done about this. And I would say it was, it was such a tough time. I didn't, I didn't even know myself during that time. I, and while I was going through that particular time, God kept saying to me, I've got this. I've got this. And people would say to me, you know, well, what, do, what do you think about this? What do you think God's doing? And I'd say, I don't know, but God's got this. And I just had this assurance inside me, God's got this. And it was so important to me to know that his presence was with me and that he poured his Holy Spirit into my life. And the, and the amazing thing about that is since that time, I've met with so many people who've shared with me, they've been going through depression or something, and I've been able to minister to them in a very different way because I've experienced it. You know? And that's, that's, what the, that's what scripture teaches us, that we, we go through things. And as we go through them, God can then use that for us to minister to others. Because we understand where they are. We don't come in glibly and say something stupid. We have compassion towards them. And God's promise is that in times of suffering, we will by his spirit continue. He will by his spirit continue to pour out his love into our hearts to remind us what? But we are his. I had no way of knowing that things were going to work out for me last year. As a matter of fact, when I went back to see my doctor several months later, he said to me, I don't even know you. Who is this joyful bloke that I'm meeting in front of? Who are you? He said, you are so different. He said, I don't think we need to carry on with uh, meeting anymore. He said, I'm not even. And I took my wife along, Rachel, and the doctor said, what do you notice that's different about him? She said, he's thinking about the future. He's interested in caring for others now. Before, he was just sinking within himself. He said, I, I, I've got my husband back. I love it in this scripture that this is the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the whole of Romans. And I love it that it points to the Holy Spirit's work of making us deeply and refreshingly aware that God loves us. That's what the Holy Spirit does all the time. Whatever we're going through, the Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus and make known God's love to us in our hearts as he lives within us. I don't know what all of you are going through this morning. I don't know. You may be facing some difficulties and trials. You may be suffering in some way. I don't know because I don't know you guys. But I want to tell you this. God is for you and not against you. God is with you. God wants to... Pour his Holy Spirit into your life so you have assurance of his presence. Number five. Number five is the assurance of absolute safety on Judgment Day. I can't tell you how many Christians I meet who love that point. <laughs> the absolute assurance of safety on Judgment Day. It says this, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? What did Jesus do according to that? He saved us from God's wrath. Paul starts off with the same point as in verse 1. He says, since we've been justified. But he adds another thing. Paul's pointing to the fact, although we're saved now, that salvation will not be fully realized until the day we see Jesus face to face. We are being saved, 
We are saved and we will be saved. I'll check that one out with Andrew afterwards. <laughs> He's speaking about the day of reckoning. You know when that guy, uh, those guys had the talents, one of them put it in the ground, the others put it to work. There came a day of reckoning and there comes a day of reckoning for all of mankind before God. It's like the master's return in the parable of the talents. And Paul is saying, if you've trusted in Christ, you will know nothing of God's judgment. If you've trusted in Christ, you will know nothing of God's judgment because it's been taken away in Christ. We are, listen, as a people, as Christians, we are secure in the love of God because he has rescued us, because he has secured us, and because you are justified, you are absolutely safe. I find many Christians are fearful of the future, fearful of what death, fearful of what happens after death, all sorts of stuff like that. But this reassures us that if we're right with God through Jesus, we have no fear of the day of reckoning. We have no fear of judgment day. It has already been paid for in Jesus. Okay, I'll move on. No hallelujahs on that one. I bet there'll be hallelujahs on the day. I bet there will. Okay, number six, which is my last one. More than that, okay? This is how it starts. More than that. Not only this, in verse 11. Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Okay, not only this, but we also rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. Now, now as, as in the Christian life, we're not fearful of God. We rejoice in God. We have this joy-filled relationship with our Father in heaven. We're not afraid about Judgment Day because Jesus has already paid it. We're not, there's nothing concerning us. We have this Father who's loved us, sent his Son for us, and now we are secure in the love of God, and that there is no benefit, I think, that is higher than the benefit of God himself. All right? We've been made right with God so we can enjoy God. We get to enjoy him as our friend and our father and our shepherd and all the other names that we find of him. That is our father in heaven. God himself enjoyed by his people. Note again, it says here, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not something you have to work up. Or not like, I'm going to have to work up some joy in God this morning. No, our joy in God is that we've been made right through Jesus Christ. And joy in his presence is given to us as one of the benefits of our Christian life. Scripture teaches us that through our justification, all this is ours. Christ died for the unrighteous. Why did Christ die for the unrighteous? Well, the scripture says this, to bring us to God. To bring us to God. So, going back to my talents in the ground, or maybe I'll go to a different one. Um, I know, I know, I know. The pearl of great price. Do you know that one? Where the guy goes out looking for the pearls, and he, he finds the pearl and he sells everything he has because he wants to gain that one pearl. So when we came to Christ, what did we do? We gave up all the junk in our lives. We gave up, even if, even if something was worth something, all right? When I became a Christian, I'm not sure I'm going to say this. Yeah, I am going to say it. When I became a Christian, I gave away all my ACDC and Black Sabbath albums, all right? <laughs> it shows my age, I know. I did. I gave them away because they did not fit in my Christian life. You see? It, I, I couldn't think, sing songs like Killing Yourself to Live any longer. They were not the songs of my heart anymore. I left it all behind. But it wasn't like, oh man, I've got to give away my Black Sabbath album. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, I have found something so good. This is junk compared to that. And that is our joy in our life. Listen, we've left the sin behind and now we're living in the joy of the Lord every day. We are right with God forever. We have all these benefits that he's given to us. We don't have to be afraid about the future. We don't have to be afraid about Judgment Day. We don't have to worry about being insecure. Or anything. God has secured us in Jesus. 
and it's not even to do with our feelings. Someone just fell off the chair, they're so excited about it. <laughs> Listen, let me, let me, let me say this. this. This is the important point, isn't it? Enjoying God is God's desire for you and all of his people. Do you know that? It's not like we, we come to Jesus, we get forgiven, and then we go, oh, I've got to get through this life. And the world, it's that horrible world out there. That's not what God's doing. He is actually wanting us to fill us with his joy to go out into the world and make a difference. He wants us to be a people overflowing. That's why it says, out of the mouth, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If our hearts are filled with the joy of what Christ has done, what are we going to do? We're going to talk about it. We're going to tell people about it. Because we're thrilled with what Jesus has done. Are we entering into the master's joy with him? I'm asking this morning, having put your faith in Jesus, do you have peace with God? Are you aware that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you those rejoicing and boasting in it all? being in Jesus Christ. What I mean by that, are you rejoicing in God? Which is the same word as boast, really. Are we boasting in God that he has loved us in Christ? Who live in and enjoy God's grace every day. Who even in suffering know God is a work to hone us and to make us into the people he wants us to be. And above all, we rejoice in God himself. Listen, listen let me just say, the treasure of the Christian life, the treasure of the Christian life is not heaven. The treasure of the Christian life is not security. The treasure of the Christian life is God himself. He's the treasure. And we have the treasure. But I don't deserve it. So what? Jesus has made us right with God. That's why we love Jesus. That's why we worship Jesus. Because he is our provision to deal with everything that keeps us distant from God. So I'm asking this morning, does that describe you? Are you? Have you got peace with God? Are you living in that peace? Are you living in that joy? Are you making the most of your access to grace every day? Are you feeling condemned? God doesn't want his people going around feeling condemned. That's why he wrote it in the Word. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If we don't see how rich we are, we won't delight and we won't rejoice and we won't ooze it to everybody else in our community. But if we see the riches, if we give thanks for the riches, if we rejoice in our riches, if we're enjoying God every day, if we're letting the Holy Spirit pour his love into our hearts and make it real to us, joy will be ours and our message will be filled with joy. And we will declare our God is the God of more. Just read through that passage. More and more and more and more. Our God is the God of more. Can I, I want to urge you this morning, okay? If you've become a Christian and you've just settled for that, you're missing out on the more of God. God wants you to be... As it, the, the early church, the book, in the book of Acts, the way I often describe them is this. They were thrilled with the gospel, they were filled with the spirit, and they were spilled out into the community. I want to say to you, as a church gathered in this place today in Toronto, I want to say this. Be thrilled, filled, and spilled as a people. That's God's desire for you. Enjoy God every day. Live in communion with him. And when the enemy comes to condemn, tell him to get lost. Point him to Jesus. I've got to work with my brother, Jesus. He's already paid for that. Isn't it great when you're going to a restaurant and you go up to pay and someone says, actually, they've already paid. Hey, great. That's us. That's us. I often want to run back and say, actually, I'll, I'll have another drink. <laughs> I'll have another drink and, and another, after, another dessert. Give me another dessert. Actually, with God, that's possible. That's what this is showing to us. Not only do we come into God's presence, but we get one benefit after another. Now, I've said to you, this passage is not, you know, it's not exhaustive on this, but it gives you an idea that God 
has saved us, and then he has given one blessing after another. Please, I urge you, or as the Bible would say, I implore you, and I want to say, like, for goodness sake, live in the joy of the Christian life. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live in the relationship that God has provided for you. Let's pray together. It's just in, in, in prayer right now. I just want to read some of these bits to you. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know who said that? God said that. And that's true about you. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And, there's more, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he goes on to say, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Therefore, since we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, we have now received reconciliation. Father, I'm asking you for every person online and in this room this morning that they would get it. Lord, I pray that you'd reveal to their hearts that not only is salvation wonderful because of what Jesus has done for us in removing the hostility between us and you, but also there is one blessing after another. Thank you for this grace today in which we stand. Lord, I pray for any who are not living in grace, who are not living in the freedom, but find themselves condemned on a regular basis. Pray, help them, Lord, to take hold of the truth of your word, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We thank you that for all this stuff, the game changer is this. We're in Christ. We are in Christ. As we sang this morning, and as it was shared with us this morning, when he died, we died. And when he rose, we rose to new life. I pray in Jesus' name that every person in New Life Church, would live the new life in the joy and in the relationship and also in the joy of enjoying God himself every day. In Jesus' name, amen.